Welcome to Basement Astrologers, coming to you live from the middle of the Middle West in above-average St. Paul, Minnesota, and the beautiful Pacific Northwest in Puyallup, Washington. My name's Kip from Moodomania Astrology, and with me is Meredith from Earthling Astrology. Hello. We're coming to you to talk the second part of the Cosmos in Psyche Book Club. Yay! Or maybe... Book Club uh. Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went online to find book club questions because most books have kind of like a group discussion oh. book club type format you can find online. Nothing for this book. <laughs> Nothing. No one's sitting around at their Friday night book clubs drinking wine talking about Cosmos and Psyches. But but we are. Here we are. No, and especially um, this part when it gets super heavy. <laughs> Oh my God. You feel the true weight of history upon you. I am dusting off my apocalypse plan after reading parts five and six. Oof. So it's April 12th at 8.18 a.m. Pacific Coast time. And uh, and we're really ready to get hard and heavy on Cosmos and Psyche. Now, I've been avoiding any talk about 2020, about the Pluto-Saturn conjunction, because I knew we were going to do this book. Um, and we're really going to get into it today. Because the second part, we're doing first chapter... Uh, four, which talks about the patterns of Pluto and Uranus. And then we get to the Saturn-Pluto stuff, which is what we are, are, you know, we're kind of, and we'll get to this, just past a really dynamic uh, Uranus-Pluto time in history. And we're headed, just staring right in the teeth of a uh, of a Saturn-Pluto. So before we started, uh, we wanted to lay some, some groundwork because... What Tardis yeah. does in this part of the book is he gives tons of examples. And uh, and Meredith thought it was important for us to to really break down um, what he does for these examples. So first, I am going to read his description of his use of examples. And Meredith's going to kind of unpack it. Does that sound okay, Meredith? Yes. Okay. So when he talks about these planetary alignments, he says... He's using both synchronic and dichronic examples in nature. A dual, so synchronic is a dual form of patterning that was strikingly consistent throughout the larger body of evidence. The synchronic patterns involved those cases where many events of the same archetypal character took place simultaneously in different cultures and individuals' lives in coincidence with the same alignment, such as simultaneous revolutions or simultaneous scientific breakthroughs occurring independently in separate countries and continents. The dichronic patterns, by contrast, involves cases where events taking place during one alignment had a close archetypal and often historical association with events occurring during preceding and subsequent alignments of the same planets in such a way as to suggest a distinct unfolding cycle. So that's the quote. Yeah, I wanted to kind of really define that and um, make it personal to our lives so it helps me understand what he's saying in the book better. So we were talking before we started recording, a synchronic pattern would be, Wow, in my life, I see a lot of people putting their dogs down, a lot of people that don't know each other, or I see it on Facebook. And right now, I'm seeing a lot of news reports about teenagers and young people in their 20s suffering cardiac arrest. That is kind of strange. It's popping up to me. That seems like a synchronic 
pattern. Um, same kind of news headlines, that sort of thing. So it's crazy that you bring this up because one of my uh, spouse's co-workers is on vacation for spring break and her mm-hmm. dog died in the kennel that they were, uh, they booked the dog at. Yeah, and it was only eight and a little dog that could live to like 15, 16. Totally random. So I didn't bring that up when we chatted ahead of time. But yeah, I mean, your example is just hitting a home run. And we just had Pluto South Node. Radical transformation, sucked through the outdoor. Yeah, and I don't know if we know the uh, specific planetary alignments that might indicate, oh, a lot of us are going to lose our pets kind of thing. But again, it, it is Pluto South Node, I'm assuming. Um, and then what I have tr- more trouble with is the diachronic pattern. Um, I'm still kind of chewing on this one, but this is where uh, an alignment in the sky uh, in two different people's lives, they experience the same archetype, the same theme surfacing their life based on their chart or the trans. He uses, like you said, mundane astrology. So that's, I don't do a lot of mundane astrology. So I have trouble with that one because I'm always trying to tie it back to a personal chart or a natal chart of a person. Um, so can you just one more time break down the diachronic pattern that might show up in our lives? So he uses a ton of examples for this, uh, and we'll get to some. I think the simplest one, because we just went through this, is there was a Pluto-Uranus conjunction that happened in the mm-hmm. mid-1960s. And during that time, we had a really large um, push for sexual equality. That's when mm-hmm. um, people who um, look towards same-sex relationships kind of began to come out of the closet culturally. There was a huge push of feminism. And over the last decade, really since 2011, we've been in the square, the proceeding pattern. So a conjunction like a new moon, a square at 90 degrees, like the first quarter moon. We've been in the square of Pluto-Uranus. And over that period of time, we had same-sex marriage, legalized in the United States. We also had a woman who was a major party candidate for president. So diachronic meaning the pattern that it follows. So during the conjunction, we had this big push towards liberalizing Mm. um, sexual relations. And then during the square legalization of same sex marriage, a woman ran for president. Now, is everything perfect and figured out because we had this revolution? No, (laughs) the woman lost and largely to someone, uh, you know, kind of consistently considered a misogynist, but, but um, you can see the diachronic pattern. Okay. So in a couple more decades, not sure how many, when Pluto and Uranus are conjunct again, we can expect to see more kind of sixties themes of the sexual revolution. happening. I mean, it's going to be a long time. So um, I didn't look up the next pattern all the way out, but if you think the sixties all the way to 2011, when we got within orb or 2010, when we got within orb, um, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's way over 40 years, um, yeah. almost 50 years. So that the next opposition is going to be another 50 years. Um, you know, we're, we're this is really a 200 some year cycle we're talking about. Yeah, this is so layered. <laughs> um, he does such a great job of picking out so many examples. Um but again, in the 60s, we had other things flavoring things like we just talked about Chiron and Aries. And uh, back in the 60s, Saturn was opposed to uh, Uranus and Pluto for a while. There's just so much to the cosmic soup. But I like that he breaks out each uh, outer planet cycle so well. So you can kind of compartmentalize it in your brain. And I haven't quite gotten there, but that's where I'm going. And this is really what he does in this section. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of slowly go through 
We're going to talk about some of the examples that struck us most clearly. Um, and then this book came out in 2007. So subsequently, we've had that Uranus-Pluto square. And like I said, we're heading towards that Saturn-Pluto um, conjunction in the sky. So so we're going to use some examples of things happening right now. We're, we're well within orb of a Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So spoiler, when we get to that section. <laughs> One of the things I want to point out is that that's what this is. This is him just beating you over the head with specific examples that match up to these archetypal patterns. I mean, he's really piling it on like an attorney um, just shoving evidence in your face. You know, yeah, that's really what this yep. is. Yeah, I, a lot of it. I learned a lot of history. I know you're the history buff, but I learned so much about history. And it actually, I, that's not one of my favorite subjects, as you know. I uh, wasn't really drawn to study history, but now I'm more inclined to based on a wow I can look at what's going on in the sky and that might actually help me remember historical facts and figures that I've never cared to uh, memorize before so one of the first examples he uses is um, feminism and women's rights and he mm -hmm. follows examples w way back in history I mean he's really going back at some points into the 14th to the 1600s um, yeah but he talks about the um, the first great feminist document and manifesto, Mary Wollastcroft's A Vindication of the Rights of Women, uh, her famous quote, I do not wish them to have power over men, but over themselves. And that happened during a really specific um, Uranus-Pluto configuration. Uh, and, then in, uh, and that was, in, again, 1792. Then we get to the Uranus-Pluto conjunction of 1845 through 56. We have the first women's rights convention. It was held in Seneca Falls, New York, you know, and that happened in 1848. So right in the heart of this. And this is the type of patterning he goes through throughout the book. And then we brought up the, the modern example. Um, so we, we have the 60s. We have women burning their bras and, and a push towards sexual revolution. But another thing he points out, and I think this is really important, is that we didn't just see these breakthroughs in culture. We saw them in science, too. Uh, and there's huge chunks of scientific history here. But when you think of that feminist revolution of the of that mid 60s era, that coincided with uh, the distribution of the birth control pill. So women really had control over their sexual autonomy. Uh, when was Roe v. Wade? That uh, was what during was a similar early? period. Yeah, it was definitely during okay. that. And we're going to get to abortion rights because um, that that right now we're seeing a really big push um, towards some Saturnian boundaries around abortion rights. And that's really yeah. patterning with some of these Saturn Pluto books. Again, I keep, I keep trying to get ahead. We're going to stay where we are. <laughs> Sorry. Um, then he goes to abolitionist rights. So this is really, um, this isn't even civil rights. This is the idea that we can't own black people as slaves. Um, that's, that's how, uh, man, because it really wasn't that long ago that like when my mom, if she was traveling to the South as a kid, couldn't drink out of the same drinking fountain as someone uh, who is of African descent. So I don't want to make Isn't it sound that crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, so I don't want to make it sound like these are issues that are resolved. But no, what we're talking about here is some of the initial pushes. Um, so during the Uranus-Pluto alignment of 1787 and, and 98, 
through 90 through 1798 we had this is when the french revolution happened and it's a consistent theme this idea of pluto okay um those primal urges the internal force and uranus rebellious promethean breaking boundaries and so that's what we're seeing in these patterns so with, yeah. with feminism we had that push to individuate that sexual drive that you know you can't constrain me and that combined with that you can't constrain me uranus pushing through breaking boundaries um so the french revolution is a great example uh breaking the monarchy's hold on an entire uh civilization um and these same patterns came through when we see the push towards abolitionism and civil rights we have um the first push uh towards a widespread call for the end of slavery then that patterns up to um another uh configuration um the opposition of 1896 through 1907 when we had booker t washington and wb du bois saying no um sir we're, we're not property now but we're also human beings um, and we we need civil rights i mean this was a radical idea and then we go back to that conjunction of the mid 1960s now we see the civil rights movement this is martin luther king this is uh the civil rights act this is making sure southern states are allowing everyone to vote um, this is people sitting down and being attacked by dogs and shot by water cannons um so it's really again that's the diachronic nature right so we're seeing yeah. patterns building they build and then they break through um we get to nonviolent civil disobedience um and a lot of these things happen at the same time so we talk about gandhi um, a lot of people don't know that Gandhi actually first began a civil rights movement in South Africa. So there were a ton of uh, Indians living in South Africa who were treated terribly. And Gandhi started um, nonviolent civil disobedience there. He actually, that's the first time he went to jail was in South Africa. Um, we have ideas of radical socialism and some of those themes are bubbling back up. We first saw the Occupy Wall Street movement um, during that Uranus Pluto Square during the uh, 2010s. Uh, and we see there's a ton about Marx and the Communist Manifesto. Uh, there's a lot of interesting information about Marx's birth chart, but we also see those patterns of Marx's ideas then being actually uh, enacted in many ways um, at these same Uranus-Pluto um, aspects. What did you think Can about you that? Actually, I want you to help me understand what radical socialist theory is exactly. Okay. So it's the idea that people need to be valued more than the products they're pushing out. Um, so that, so okay. um, there was a time when we had kings and there was a feudal system and it was really widespread. And the idea was that you were basically the king's property. Whatever land you were born on, you were going to work until you died. And whatever you produced, okay. um, you know, you got to keep whatever the king didn't take. Then uh, there were bouts of trade that, that was expansive and uh, there was some exploring of the world. And uh, and that was a way in which people could in some ways break through those feudal aspects. Uh, then we got really to Guggenheim and the printing press, which, by the way, uh, the printing press happened during a really significant Uranus-Pluto transit. And we're going to get there. And information got dispersed. Um, and then we got to a point where people decided that 
that they were of value just because they were individuals. Now, Marx took this idea and he said that the, there was a certain amount of value that existed in a society and that there was no reason why that everyone that was part of that society was um, was deserving of that value, not just people who figured out how to get to the end of the chain and, and fill up the money bags. Okay, can I just, I want to understand this. So say we have two women and a job. One is a single mom, one is not. The single mom has to take a little bit more time off of work. She's got more responsibilities. They're not pumping out the same amount of product, whatever that product is, at their work. And the social radical socialist theory is let's treat the people equally. Well, radical socialist theory is kind of the end game where it's like we're going to destroy um, the overarching uh, system. We're going to tear it down and we are going to redistribute all of the wealth in the nation equally and then start a new system. That's the radical part. Now, I assume people don't like this. <laughs> a lot of people do. A lot of people don't. Um, there's kind okay. of polarizations on each side. Um, one of the things that socialism um, espouses, and so when you think of like a Scandinavian style socialist, using your example, is more towards the idea of from each, from their capabilities to each based on their needs. So, yeah, if, if you're a single uh, parent and you have a little bit more to provide in the workplace, then you know you're expected to contribute to that level. If you're uh, a single parent and you need a little more, um, then it's expected that that you get a little more. You get a little more time. There's there's more allocated to you because those are the needs, and that's better for society as a whole than the idea of just production and just survival of the fittest. Got it. Yeah, but how, uh, how do you weigh something like that? <laughs> okay, we can move on. I'm just learning so much history and, and big words that I've never cared to study before. So thank you. Okay, that wasn't the best breakdown of Marx, but I didn't want to get too far in the weeds there. Gotcha. Uh, then we, we come into the English Revolution and Radical Re- Reformation, and he talks a lot about the points in history, uh, both Calvinism uh, and Martin Luther, really the the uh, breaking up of the Christian church. Uh, so in other words, chunks of the church dividing from the traditional Roman or Catholic church. All of these happened right during um, really specific and acute Saturn-Pluto alignments. I apologize that I'm not giving you dates. I kind of decided I wasn't going to just blast dates at you. Um, so Read the book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'll get all the dates. You're, you're going to have to kind of take me at faith. Uh, but also, that that's what this book does. I mean, he gets into the weeds like nobody's business. Yeah, it's intense. So um, so let's get into the weeds here because I did bring up Gutenberg. So there was a conjunction, a Uranus-Pluto conjunction in 1450-61. And this is when Gutenberg uh, developed the movable type printing press. And this was huge. And one of the reasons I think this was huge is because it, it's really, you can see the diachronic nature because information can be spread. Um, we get then to the next conjunction, and that's where we have Kepler and Galileo embracing the heliocentric hypothesis. So in other words, the idea that the Earth is in the center of the galaxy, 
The sun is the center of our uh, galaxy and, and the Earth travels around it. And the reason this became a big deal is because we could spread it around. We could share it with people. I mean, these guys could have figured this out and maybe somebody did hundreds of years earlier, but it wouldn't have, have helped. Well, also um, telescopes were invented. So again, we have the science matching the theory. And this happens over and over and over. I cannot stress enough how he brings up the scientific breakthroughs that happen at the same time. So I want to uh, throw something at you and see if you can tie this in. So right now, like yesterday, did you see an image of a black hole was released yeah. uh, for the first time? And they and a woman look like Sauron. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I have Sauron. Another another creepy thing that happened to me yesterday. Um, so there, but what's awesome is that there was a woman that be, because of her we get to see this picture. Um, and you know, that's uh, back in the '60s. Right now, things are resurface resurfacing about how many women helped get us to the moon. They weren't, you know, ever, it wasn't, they weren't the famous ones back then. It was all the men or whatever. But I, I want to ask your question or want to um, see if you have an opinion on going back in time and kind of now we are giving the women the credit when I, I know there's feminist stuff bubbling up in the 60s. But now at, during this period, women are uh, getting more recognition and they deserve it. But we're going back in time to the same period is that 100 percent is the diachronic yeah. pattern yeah um, there are actually a number okay. of examples in here where people did made an important work and it got so they so let's say they they wrote this important book during a conjunction and then it becomes famous during the preceding square yeah okay yeah, i mean it's it's all over the examples are just one after another um and then he he really gets into how this so you have the printing press then the next uh, conjunction, you have um, the heliocentric hypothesis. Then uh, at the that same time, we get Francis Bacon um, really breaking through with the idea of scientism, the idea of, uh, of breaking away from the old animistic idea of understanding and pushing towards just a pure materialistic um, understanding of the world. So using math to understand the world around us. The, the famous book is The Advancement of Learning, and that came out in 1605, right during um, the, so that came out right after this, the tight patterning, but it was written during it, and Child of Time, his first work, came out during the conjunction. Um, and so this is really what brought us, brings us up to that, that next conjunction of the 1960s, uh, we have we have a couple hundred years of, of scientism taking over the idea that uh, that we're going to organize our world through the ways we can break it down into math. Yes, I did like that chapter. I got the science stuff. <laughs> you love the scientism. Um, I do. So I'm, I'm going to quickly go through. He has a couple charts where he uses the alignments. Uh, and he, what he does with this first section is he just goes conjunction opposition, conjunction opposition. He didn't get into the squares, uh, but we have 1450 to 1533. You know what? I'm not going to do this is too much in the weeds. Buy the book and read it. Um, or if not, just understand that the pattern is important. And he does. He does give you charts where he says the number, uh, the dates specifically. Then what he kind of does is so that that he listed as a breaking through like a Uranus um, type of 
breakthrough. So, so kind of Pluto pushing Uranus. Then he goes to a whole chapter where, that he calls the awakening of Dionysian, right? So this is the, uh, the archetype of Dionysus of that, uh, that churning id, um, of the, the inner drive, uh, Pluto, radical internal transformation. And he goes through a ton of chap, a ton of uh, information that deals specifically with this like Dionysian, Plutonic, and what he calls the Kali principle. And Kali is uh, a Hindu god of death and rebirth. The one with all the arms, Kali, I'm sure. Yes. Um, well, I like what he says. The Dionysian principle appears to act by compelling, empowering, and intensifying whatever it touches with profoundly transformative and sometimes overwhelming destructive consequences. Totally. Um, and that's what we see with a lot of these aspects is we see revolution. So there's there there are violent occurrences. Um, there, there's death and rebirth, some of those platonic themes, but it's the Promethean themes that's in many ways driving it or is an integral and equal force, the idea of breaking the bonds of history. So basically, which planet archetype is in the driver's seat? <laughs> it can change, right? Yeah. Who's the, who's the passenger, Uranus or Pluto? And he does a good job of that. He he really, really gets into it. Um, then he talks about, uh, th there's a whole chapter on the liberation of nature. Um, and so he talks about the idea of scientism and the push towards the industrial revolution. Um, and at the same time, so we see the suppression of animism, of the idea of um, nature being a co-equal partner in existence. But he talks about then how, how it squirts through and where it shows up and how it's consistently during these patternings that, um, that we see um, evidence of this fundamental um, nature of existence inside it. And his main example for this is Freud. So he talks about the Promethean liberation of Dionysian and how it can be discerned on many levels. So in other words, so, right, so we're pushing nature down, we're pushing those primal drives down, we're basically shoving them down with math and science. And then Freud comes along and Freud's achievement can be recognized as the rationalist enlightenment's entrance into the platonic underworld of the instinctual unconscious, the revelation of the boiling cauldron of the instinct. But I don't know how you get much more platonic or uh, Dionysian than that. And he talks about how uh, culture and the organization of people based on their, um, their effectiveness in the marketplace um, kind of suppressed your inner drive and, and the effects that that had on society. And he, he broke it down. I bet you did a lot of reading of Freud in, in, as an undergrad, didn't you? I did. And um, Tarnas actually assigns, I think, Uranus to the id and Pluto the superego. Did I get that right? Um, and I, I am struggling with what he did there, but I'm going to go back and kind of hit that because I was, I've never thought of assigning a planetary archetype to Freud's kind of breakdown of the different levels of ego. Um, so yeah, I, I did read a lot about Freud. I think I mentioned on a previous pod, I kind of discarded his, um, theories. I, I'm more Jungian, uh, which he gets to later <laughs> with Carl Jung. Um, but yes, Freud, uh, I, I, he was all 
sex too. Very uh, infant sexuality and um, phallic symbols and dreams. This is uh, what he kind of pushed the boundaries with, with, with his work. So let's, let's see if I can avoid getting too close to the sun here. The way I looked at this was we have this preceding um, aspects of Pluto Uranus that uh, gave people the ability to share information. There were scientific breakthroughs directly tied to that. And then we were able to organize society in, for lack of a better term, a capitalistic way. Um, we People organized themselves based on where they could exact profit, um, where they could be most useful and, and, and get the most resources, not where they could be most comfortable, uh, where they aligned best yeah. with nature, where they had family support set up, uh, where, they, where they historically lived because they were comfortable in their surroundings and understood uh, interfamily relations. They moved out to make more money. And you have Freud come along because there are a lot of people who are trying to adapt to that, but there's no output places for, for Pluto, for the, the inside stuff that's bubbling up. And that mm. most fundamentally expressed itself sexually, because keep in mind, we also had this repressive culture, uh, this puritanical culture, especially in the West and especially in the United States, where it's, you can have sex after you're married to that one person, don't show too much skin, in some places, that's against yeah. the law. And so that bubbles up at points and pushes out. And, and that was where Freud was working. Freud's famous yeah. example of um, of the steam engine, where you, know, you keep shoveling coal into the engine of the train. And if the train can't roll forward, it's going to blow up. Um, yeah. Very Scorpio. <laughs> totally. Um, and so Freud was the first that I mean, he talked about sex a lot, mostly because nobody else was. And these people weren't allowed to talk about it. Well, yeah. And that's Uranus. Like, right. Boom. Exactly I'm being right. a rebel. So, I'm, think um, so Uranus expressing it. Pluto, the feeling of it. Right. The that intense buildup of that sexual force. Uranus. It's got to break through here. I'm here. Break through. God, if TV existed back then, Freud would have his own show and he'd be, <laughs> it would be crazy shit, right? He's just blowing shit up. He'd, he'd um, be blowing people's minds. Yeah. Or in jail. Back then, I don't know. Well, you know, think of all the cocaine he did too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. I'd say uh, Uranus there. Well, I don't know. Now he gets into okay. this massive philosophy talk. And maybe I should do a solo pod. Maybe we'll. Maybe that'll be the first thing we release to our patrons. Um, will be a solo pod of me just talking uh, Schopenhauer and Nietzsche. Um, I, Hell yeah! I don't want to super get into the weeds with that right here because I think um, I don't think that's what people are here for. But uh, Schopenhauer, one of my favorites, was born at the start of the preceding Uranus-Pluto opposition of the French Revolution. Nietzsche was born at the beginning of the Uranus-Pluto conjunction. And he goes into this really in-depth breakdown of how they interact intellectually with what's happening in society and, and their own work and the, just the force and drive that propels them outside of mainstream thought. And it's really, really good. Did you like it? I like the whole thing. I mean, I like this book, but like I told you yesterday, I read it and there's all these like doom and gloom kind of themes and stuff. And I read it during a snowstorm in April with 50 miles per hour winds. And um, yes, anyway, sorry, I'm on a tangent, but I did like every chapter. I just don't know a lot about philosophy. So please do a solo pod on all of your favorites. So here is um, a little bit of, of the science. 
So Uranus Pluto conjunction 1705 to 1716, the invention of the steam engine. Then the following conjunction in 1845 to 1856, the discovery of petroleum oil as fuel. Then we have 1896 to 1907, and we have the birth of the nuclear age. That's Madame Curie time. So, And cars and planes and automobiles. Um, when he totally gets into oh, that. He, he loops in the Wright brothers constantly, which is great because he uses it as a kind of a motif. Yeah, and also um, people around the world were kind of almost close to learning to fly. Like, like that's the synchronistic uh, pattern. Well, uh, one of the best examples besides the philosophers, because you can really see the patterning in their birth chart, is Leonardo da Vinci. He was born mm. during a really tight alignment and then did a ton of his work during one of the conjunctions. And you can almost see it just emanating from him. He's like patterning out where the world's going to head for the next 500 years. He's like pure genius. Love that guy. Yeah. Um, I love this one. So right during this this just birth of scientism on November 10th, 1973, they had a festival of, re of reason declared in France. So right during the revolution, the Cathedral of Notre Dame was plundered and then ritually dedicated to the cult of reason before an immense and joyful crowd an actress from Paris opera was selected to represent the goddess of reason. After being embraced by the president, she was paraded in glory through the thronged streets to, uh, of, to the cathedral, where she was enthroned on the high altar, crowned as a deity and worshipped by all present. Stirred by the demonstrations, the, uh, the convention two weeks later outlawed the Bible and any expression of Christian religion under the penalty of death. Parish churches were reopened as temples of truth and reason, and Christianity was replaced by natural religion. I had that, that part of the book floored me. I mean, I grew up Catholic Christian. I had no idea of any of this. I was not taught this. Um, so that was, again, this is something I learned reading this book. One of the reasons I think that this section is important is because in some ways we talk about the uh, the scientism as an exclusion of the natural, but that's not how they thought it, about it. They thought about them unleashing nature to the benefit of man. Um, so I, I really I really want to stress that. And so the idea of reason reason to them was natural, whereas this worship of an invisible deity was unnatural. I think that's something to sit and meditate with. But yeah. it's also really important to think about when we get to some of those Saturn Pluto themes which are conservative in nature, which is like old school uh, fire and brimstone type stuff that we see bubbling mm -hmm. back during those periods. So yep. um, that was a really, really um, neat section when he talks about the French Revolution. But keep in mind, um, there was still a ton of, of death uh, occurring, a ton of plutonic themes the transformation wasn't um, of pure delight. Uh, we, we eventually, in some cases, got there. Uh, but, you know, there was a, there was a lot of, of death and rebirth going on, too. Then he goes into uh, filling out the cyclical sequences. We're going to, I think, push through this a little bit. But uh, some of this was really interesting because what he does is so he first goes through the conjunctions and the oppositions. And then he spends an entire another big chunk of the book 
talking about kind of the dichrotic patterns you see in the squares or the 90 degree angles. What he, the difference for him is he uses a 15 degree arc. So a planet can be within 15 degrees um, of either a conjunction or an opposition when it's, when it's Pluto Uranus and it, he sees a fit synchronistically. But when we get to these squares, he, he cuts it down to 10 degrees. What did you think about yeah, that? I was gonna s yeah, I, I thought it was 10. Uh, he just said a 15 degree orb adds one to three years before and after. Um, the 10 degree orb. And then he, he also has a chart for the exact alignment uh, yeah. within one degree. Yeah. And he, he breaks it down then also into those tighter times when it's really close together. And that's when we see the most acute activity, especially mundanely. Um, yeah. And the last one, the last Uranus Pluto square was 2012 to 15, but we're still in it right now. The exact alignment was 2012 to 2015. Right. Uh, we, we're definitely in the waning days of a, of a Uranus uh, Pluto square. Right. I, I really loved his example of, uh, of Shelley. So, um, wait, Mary Shelley, no, Percy, uh, oh. by Shelley, who might've been, um, the Frankenstein Shelley's relative. Um, okay. that person was born during a, uh, a Pluto Uranus alignment. And then they did one of their most famous works, during the preceding Pluto Uranus alignment, and they they called it uh, he called it Prometheus Unbound, written in 1820 when Uranus Pluto square alignment was exact. So, so his very example of Prometheus is in the name of, of the uh, the actual work. I think that that tickled his fancy. That tickles my fancy. I love that kind of stuff. So one of the things I wanted to talk about before we get to Saturn Pluto is. Um, is he talks a lot about um, these generations and how they, they seem to have kind of this, when you're born during this era, people seem to have this kind of inner knowledge that, that they're special and, and there's something going on. And one of the things I thought was really interesting about this is I pay attention not so much to the news as to the patterns of politics. When you hear about the patterns of politics, you really only hear about two generations. You hear about boomers, people born from 1946 to 1964, and you hear about millennials, people born from 1981 to 1996. The thing that I think is so interesting about this is that these are the two groups, more or less, who were raised and came of age during Uranus-Pluto patterns. For the boomers, it's the conjunction, and for the millennials, it's the square. And I think that that's just, I think it's fascinating. I think it's telling. And I think it's going to be the patterning that, that's going to be apparent as we go forward. I also did a little bit of research when it comes to um, the Pluto-Saturn alignment, because I, I think he points out a lot of times that it's people with those alignments in their birth charts that come to the surface during these alignments. And we have some of those. Uh, to discuss as, as examples when we get there. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. Did you, did you like my example? <laughs> um, so one of the things we see um, is the eruption of a collective will to power during these Uranus-Pluto eras. And it can also be concentrated and be embodied in a single powerful figure. 
kind of a world historic political military conqueror or a tyrant. Um, or in the case of France, we saw the embodiment in a system. That's kind of where we got some of our, our modern democratic systems come from. That's where the Declaration of Independence comes from, which has really uh, been the guiding light of, of American political will for a very long period of time. But he pointed out a bunch. He pointed out Alexander the Great during the conjunction uh, of 328 through 318, Julius Caesar through 74 BCE to 65 BCE, Charlemagne, 766 through 82, Genghis Khan, Peter the Great, Napoleon, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Mao, and many other um, such figures of lesser power, but with similar impulses and characteristics, dictators, conquerors, tyrants, strong men, they arose over the centuries during periods of Uranus-Pluto alignment. During the last election cycle, we were very much in a Uranus-Pluto square during some of the tightest positions of that square. And what we were faced with as a choice of this country was someone who was a strong man, someone who literally said, I'm the only one who can fix this for you. I'm the guy who can get it done. And another person who was part of an entire, um, really thought of as someone who, who was old school part of a party that had been around for a long period of time. Well, it's it's Hillary Clinton and her husband was literally president, you know, not not but 20 years earlier. So you have mm -hmm. someone who's part of a group and you have someone who's a strong man, an individual standing up, a point of emphasis. And that person won. Um, based on, and this, this book, by the way, was written, published in 2007. Um, and a lot of what came out is just really evident today. So if we just think about Pluto Uranus, and we think about it synchronically and diachronically, we had um, gay marriage legalized. We had a woman who was a major party candidate for president. We had massive civil unrest, the, the hands up, don't shoot protests, the shutting down of, of East um, of, of East St. Louis. He points out a lot of times during these eras, really popular um, figures come out in, in modern fiction too, uh, that, that stick around, that are, uh, that become kind of tropes. And I thought of Hamilton. Did you ever see Hamilton? I haven't yet. No. Um, I really think that that's going to be the example for it. So it's during that period, it com it directly addressed um, the history of our country. It went back actually to another uh, Uranus Pluto individual, um, Hamil Alexander Hamilton, uh, and it came through right during um, the Uranus Pluto explosion. So another guy really um, tied in is Columbus. Uh, 1441 during uh, during the immediately preceding Uranus Pluto conjunction was when he was born, uh, and then he began his <clears throat> trip during that same quadrature cycle. So then he went uh, and in 1842 or whatever or 1492. 1492. <laughs> thank you. So he was born in I know a, a date. <laughs> born in 1451. 1492 is when he traveled. Um, to the East Indies. Um, so I think we've beat Uranus and Pluto to death. Uh, we're a little past uh, 40 minutes. I really want to get to Saturn-Pluto. 
Very relevant for today. Let's do Super it. Super relevant. So here's the very first um, quote that I wanted to read. So alignments of the Saturn-Pluto cycle conjoined with especially challenging historical periods marked by a pervasive quality of intense contraction. Saturn, contraction. Eras of international crisis and conflict. Empowerment of reactionary forces and totalitarian impulses organized violence and oppression, all sometimes marked by lasting traumatic effects. It lasts for a three to four year period, which we are very much in right now. Yep. Um, the era is oftentimes thought of as an era that ends innocence, the destruction of an earlier mode of life that was in retrospect seen by many to have been marked by widespread indulgence decadence, naivete, and denial. The transformation was through contraction, conservative reaction, crisis, and termination. Um, we're, we're seeing a ton of those patterns pop up now. Um, you know, we've seen children uh, put in cages. There's constant talk of building a wall of being rougher with people, immigrating to the border, there's been the deep boundaries, yeah. more boundaries. Let's segregate. Yes. Putting up literally walls. That is Saturn stuff. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this is he repeatedly talks about this idea that this comes from people feeling vulnerable and then lashing out. And we heard about this over and over during the election cycle, this idea that there was a chunk of America who felt they were being left behind. They were in many ways drowned, um, by by medications popularly produced uh, by by the medical establishment, there was a huge opioid crisis, and it was and jobs were pushing towards who they like to call the elites. So they felt left behind and they lashed out. Um, so this sense of vulnerability was in turn regularly matched by a drive for power, control, and domination. I mean, he nails our current circumstances over and over and over again. And then he goes into specific examples that so closely mirror things that are taking place right now. How did you feel when you first started this section? Well, I'm not feeling well these days anyway, but uh, this is a very synchronistic event in my life. Just reading this book. I don't know, even remember how we got here. Well, Saturn and Pluto are creeping up on my son, almost to be exact, on my 40th birthday. Um, so I, as a Capricorn, got doom and gloom. This is very doom and gloom. Oh, God. Uh, a lot of it is, it. it's not a happy-go-lucky, feel-good read, um, but I think it's an important read. Uh, like, face, uh, do the Saturn, roll up your sleeves, and face the demon um, or the Lord of the Underworld Pluto type stuff. Um, it's here... Now it's coming. It's all around us. Uh, what are we going to do about it this time? Um, yeah. So to answer your question, not well, but inspired to be well. Here's another quote. I, I want to go through some of the dates um, because there's because this happens more regularly. I think this is going to be more visceral for people. It's going to be times people remember and it's going to be really striking. But here's another thing I underlined. These specific eras bring forth the emergence of a widespread strengthened resolve to re-establish traditional values, 
with broad social and political support, restoring a solid moral foundation, bring back family values, the moral majority. I mean, these could be legitimate placards that we saw people in the crowds holding during Trump rallies. Yeah. Uh, so would you associate morals and the moral code with Saturn stuff? For sure. Because if you ask someone their morals, 100 people are going to give you a diff- 100 different answers. Um, and Pluto <laughs> is here to kind of destroy what we think our moral code is. That, that's Uranus, uh, I think, or Uranus allows oh. Pluto to do that. But what I'd say is oh. that when you hear terms like traditional uh, family, those are generally tied to, to what are now thought of as conservative values. And so yeah. the constriction, the looking back, that's all Saturn stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and also when you see think Plutonic themes, a lot of those values are saying um, they're dealing with some of the same impulses, right? So a big thing that's coming up now, we saw Roe v. Wade come out of that 1960s um, conjunction. We're seeing huge pushes right now during that Saturn-Pluto alignment. Yesterday, the governor of Ohio signed a bill that outlawed abortion after a single heartbeat, something that used to be called quickening. It was a a term used to talk about um, the production of a fetus inside the womb. And quickening is an old English legal term from like 500 years ago. That's kind of bringing back old shit. Oh, I had no idea. Texas, a lawmaker introduced a bill that I I can't imagine this bill is going to pass, but I've said that before about things and we're surprised. The bill would allow the state to put to death women who have an abortion. What? Yeah. Talk about Saturn That just got introduced in the Texas legislature this week. Oh, what is happening? Um... That's so interesting to me. Like conservative, again, if we take out that piece of it, so think about, can I go back to nature now? Um, Like, I feel like a lot of our state parks and uh, trying to help heal the planet, those conservative kind of laws are being destroyed right now. Um, And that, do you have any opinion on that? I struggle with that. He talks about this constantly, about how this is a time during Saturn-Pluto when you know we we start we can see massive plundering of nature the saturn like i know that if i dig this up i'm going to get it maybe i'm going to get pay for it later but that's okay um oh that just doesn't fit with the definition of conservative in my brain <laughs> so i struggle with it. i am going to um, avoid uh putting out my opinions on this specific subject though i'm guessing people could guess where i would land um, <laughs> okay, we can move. A couple on. things I really want to point out before we get to specific examples that are dichronic. So, this period of time, uh, to quote, the remarkable correlation of many of these quadrature alignment periods with worldwide economic depressions, recessions, and hardships 1921 to 23, 1929 to 33, 1946 to 48, 1973 to 75. 1981 to 84, and 2000 with 2004. These are all periods of, to a greater or lesser extent, recessions or retractions. They've all then had rebounds. These weren't complete collapses and destructions of organizations, but we've seen retraction, pulling back of of economic um, productivity. We've also seen 
during these Saturn Pluto alignments, distinct uh, ambience of grave wrongdoing, moral and political scandal, public guilt and humiliation, trials and judgments, crimes and punishment. We've seen people punished for things like greed, power, sexuality, and political corruption. So these same forces, when directed in the right way, have led towards people get their comeuppance. We had the Nuremberg trials during one of these alignments. That's where the Nazis got tried. We just had an awful dictator in Sudan get tossed, and he'd been there for 20 years. So people can get their comeuppance. One thing I wanted to point out is that this historically has been a bad time for astrologers. So Giordano Bruno um, was uh -oh. uh, burned at the stake during a Pluto opposition. Um, the Spanish physician and astrologer and theologian uh, Michael Sephritis was also burned at the stake uh, by John Calvin. So uh, let's hope that uh, that Chris Brennan doesn't go on trial for blasphemy or something. Um, that's not what we're looking Again, for. Again, warm and fuzzy feelings with this book. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he then goes on this amazing piece using uh, Moby Dick as this great example. I don't, I'm not going to even begin, but it's really good. It has to do with how Melville was born with the Pluto-Saturn uh, complex and the themes of this whale of nature, like taking on um, the force and structures of man, like the primal forces just unleashing, and then this deep impulse in Ahab to go and take him out. Like, like just that was like his singular direction. It was just really good. Have, have you read the book, Moby Dick? I never have. I would guess Tarnas is a giant fan of that book. He 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 talked a lot about it, and I thought it was great how he did it because I've never read it. And now I want to. Um, but then he talked actually more about the history of the author as well. Uh, and mm -hmm. there was an actual ship sunk by a whale. That's how he got inspired. And then later there was another one. It's it's a uh, it's really cool to read that part of the book. I uh, I also thought that was awesome. He talked about a lot about this idea of up. Uh, Apocalyptic scenarios, talk about your apocalypse plan, about how yep. uh, during the early 80s, we had this giant fear of nuclear destruction, right? And that was the yeah. last conjunction was during those Reagan areas. And it's when we were producing tons of nuclear weapons. Then during the early uh, aughts, we had terrorism, right? Like, is a global annihilation going to get us? The World Trade Centers went down during a Saturn-Pluto opposition. Then we come to now, and I don't know what we're not looking at. We've got global warming as a full-on crisis. We've got uh, also, um, we just pulled out of the major nuclear compact. Like, we're going to start building nukes again, and so are the Russians. So it's like a full-on, like, hodgepodge there. Again, warm and fuzzy stuff. Yeah, it's, it's ah. nonstop. I'm looking to see if there's <laughs> anything else specific. There were some really cool examples of music. And the reason I think that these are really cool examples, I'm going to read them off now is <clears throat> if people are thinking about doing something uh, magically or ritualistically to work with some of this energy. So while this is smashing um, Meredith right in the head, because this is landing on her son, the Pluto uh, Saturn, uh, the Saturn Pluto alignment in Capricorn, it's actually exactly trining my son. Uh, Meredith and my sons trine each other almost to just one degree apart. Um, so people who are in positions to heart. So I've been thinking about how to harness it and other people can do that. This is something uh, where, you know, I, I've been hoping to have a magician on the show. We haven't found one yet.
who could be on. But this is something people could think about. And it's one of the ways we do that is we set the stage, we build an altar, we add specific music. And one of the types of music we can use is stuff that was developed to either um, honor a planet. So like, think if you're gonna honor Jupiter, you could get uh, Mozart's Symphony Jupiter. And here we have a bunch of stuff that was produced um, specifically during these periods when it came out. And my favorite example was uh, Musugorsky. So I, I'm probably mm, not butchering familiar. that, but he composed his dark symphonic poem, Night on Bald Mountain, which depicted the satanic rites of the witch's Sabbath. What this is, what this symphony is, is the music that was used in Fantasia when uh, Mickey Mouse becomes a wizard and all the brooms start exploding. It's that music. He developed that during Saturn Pluto and what it was depicting is a witch's Sabbath. So I think that shit might work if you're gonna do some Saturn Pluto magic. We've got some other really neat examples. Um, but the one that's really close probably to us is uh, The End by The Doors. This is the end. Um, I thought that that would work great. And also The Rite of Spring. So this was also turned into um, a cartoon that people have probably seen if they're as old as me. It was a really old cartoon. I doubt it's being played now, but it seems like it was always on Saturday mornings. And it's a Stravinsky, um, a Stravinsky piece. So The Rite of Spring... Or uh, the other one I really liked was The Night on Bald Mountain. Uh, I YouTube them, they're totally available. So it's just stuff to think about. <clears throat> other patterns we saw, Kenneth Starr, uh, who was the guy that looked into Bill Clinton. Um, he had um, a ton of this in his chart, a ton of Saturn-Pluto stuff. <clears throat> and now we're seeing another time, really prominent in the news, we're seeing a presidential investigation, the Mueller report, um, under the same patterning. So Kenneth Starr, the driving force behind Bill Clinton investigation. And now we're seeing a similar investigation. Um, didn't look into Bob Mueller's chart, but same patterns in the sky. Another thing I thought was really interesting, um, Hitchcock was born during a Saturn-Pluto opposition. Uh, and now we're seeing someone who's who's the really, when it comes to horror, and I don't want to compare him as not tour. When it comes to horror, we have someone reinventing what horror films is. And that's Jordan Peele. He's done some things like uh, Get Out. He's got a new movie coming out that I haven't seen yet. But he's redoing The Twilight Zone, too. So he's going to be all over the place. What a great time. I mean, Jordan Peele is really going to hit a home run with this. Okay. So now I want to go through the dates. Um, okay. Just just to drive home. And this is we're, we're not going to go too far back. We're going to stay really close to now. So the last conjunction before the one coming up in 2020 was in 82 and 83. This is the Reagan era. Reagan ran on old timey moral values. He's where the Christian right comes from. This was a time of um, the Red Scare, classic oppositions. Fear was rampant. We were driving up the production of nuclear weapons. Uh, it was, you know, the 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 Ruskies were going to get us. There were, there were movies when we were kids, like Red Dawn. Remember that one? Yeah, and I still have the stickers. I have an old house and those uh, stickers, you know, the Fallout Shelter stickers. Remember those yeah. from when we were kids? There, I still have those all over my house. All the older homes have it. 
Uh, and I grew up seeing those stickers and like, oh, not knowing what was going on in the world when I was two or three. Um, so there's still remnants of that. The thing that I thought was amazing about this was when I was a kid, we had to do what was called duck and cover. You had drills where nuclear sirens went off and you had to go under your desk and cover your head. I bet you did too. I don't remember oh, those. So I, Catholic school. Uh, so maybe they didn't want it. They don't want to deal with the stuff. Now <laughs> we have kids in schools hiding for mass shooting. We have lockdowns. Yes. It's, the, it's very, Ugh. very similar. I didn't bring up this idea of these school shootings, but very much platonic ideas of and bubbling up power. Pluto. Right. Um, actually, this came up in my dream interpretation group a couple of weeks ago. I had a dream about a school shooting and somebody in my dream group said, that is when that's, t- that's powerful. It's a, po- a mismanagement of power. Um, so yeah, very interesting. So then we go to the square, March 93 through 94, and that's the first Iraq war. I mean, it lines mm-hmm. up exactly. Then we go to 2001 through 2002, 9-11, and the next Iraq war. Then we go through 2009, 2010. That's exactly when we were in the heart of the Great Recession, just knee deep yeah. in it. It's also when we had the Tea Party bubble up. Because apparently then conservatives were really, really worried about the uh, the, the, the debt. We, we had way too much federal debt. For some reason now that the Tea Party has been in charge for the last four years, we don't care about the debt. It's not important anymore. But then, I mean, there were people taking to the street with signs and they hung tea bags from their hats and they were marching. Was this the um, the 1%? kind of wave too. Also, same remember, time, right. This yeah, is taking the bus downtown. Oc- I was working there. Occupy Wall Street, right. People were sleeping outside for months with uh, 99% signs. This happened a little bit after the Tea Party, and it aligns a little bit closer to that beginning of the Uranus-Pluto square. Um, okay. But but you're 100% right. It was kind of a reaction to the reaction. Okay. Yeah. Finally, December... Uh, so from January 2018 through December 21... 2021, specifically when it's really close, within one degree from December 2019 to January 2020. So this is um, right uh, Christmas time, this upcoming fall, is we're going to get really close again. Um, so think about all this, these great themes, and they're shooting right at us. Now, I told you that I did a little bit of research, and we can all yeah. uh, fantasize about... Um, Things that might take place uh, as far as like law and judgment and order, any of those types of things that might come up. But what I looked at specifically was people who had examples of uh, of this in their birth chart. Um, And I looked at the people who are running for office right now. So first of all, Trump does have a really loose, it's it's, uh, it's 17 degrees um apart uh his um his saturn was at 23 cancer and pluto at 10 degrees um of of leo um so he has a really loose conjunction of saturn pluto but the talking about uh now on the democratic side both bernie and biden have have nothing in their charts no no saturn pluto alignment oh really Um, liz warden is at 14 degrees apart. Um, Kristen Gillibrand, on the other hand, is um, really close. She's only at one degree uh, 
apart in a conjunction. She was born in 1966. Kamala Harris um, is at the beginning of that conjunction. She was born in 64. So she definitely has it in her chart, that mid 60s conjunction. What I thought was really interesting is Pete Buttigieg, who is uh, Mayor Pete. Um, he's a, a guy uh, who's a mayor in, in Indiana. He is only four degrees apart. He was born in 1982, um, and his were both in Libra. Um, and I thought that was also interesting because uh, the Saturn is exalted in Libra, and Saturn is domiciled in Capricorn. So this is going to be just a really fierce hit in Pete Buttigieg's chart. <clears throat> so both both Gillibrand and Buttigieg <coughs> really show uh, this in their charts. And let's see uh, what happens when we get even more prominent parts of this conjunction and the race for that nomination during this period. So this time... Well, Trump's getting hit too. Uh, with He just said Saturn is a 22 cancer for him. Right. That's, that's the other ah. thing. This conjunction of... Um, Pluto and Saturn and Capricorn is going to be exactly opposite. <coughs> Pardon me. Trump's natal camp, uh, Saturn. So we're not only going to see this in the skies, but just like we were talking about, it's going to be prominent in people's charts. It's going to be prominent. The initial um, aspects are going to be really prominent in the people who are, who are having this play out in their lives. So, so there we go. I think I think we've uh, gotten pretty far into this. I think people get a gist. Um, you've got Uranus, Pluto. You've got this breaking through of these primal forces, this drive for liberation. Then you have Saturn, Pluto. You have contraction. You have fear. You have totalitarian instincts. And we're seeing um, the, the end of that uh, Uranus, Pluto square and the start of this intense Saturn Pluto conjunction. Any any last wow. thoughts, Meredith? Yeah, I want to hammer you with a question that I've asked you many many times over. Um, you don't use the outer planets when you read a birth chart, and now that I've gotten this far through the book, that surprises. This keeps surprising me more and more and more. Um, so now that we've talked about prominent people and prominent times in history with all of these outer planet configuration, like in their chart, he gave so many examples. Again, why are you not drawn to um, use them? I think that they're better examples of mundane astrology. I think they point out in individuals generational shifts more than they okay. point out individual examples. But I still use them like fixed stars. So if you right. have a hard aspect or a conjunction um, especially to one of your sect lights, I would always bring that up. I would never not bring that up in a natal reading. I think that getting to the houses and giving to the seven traditional planets is far more useful in an initial reading. On the other hand, if I do a year ahead reading or a, 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 a reading of transits for you over the next six months, we're always going to talk about oh, the outer planets. <laughs> no matter, I mean, it's yeah. always going to happen. And those events in your life um, those Uranus oppositions, Uranus squares, Sat I mean, even Saturn is a slow moving planet. Um, but if you're having contact with Pluto or contact with Neptune, I mean, those are really long, slow, powerful transits. And even if it's not an individual event you see on a single day, you're going to feel it over a long period of time. And that's definitely needs to be addressed. So it's not that I don't use them. It's that I don't focus on them until okay. we're talking about those longer periods of your life. And I think that's played out in our examples from this book. 
These are long-term events. We're talking about, um, you know, like most of these are between three and six years. And in some cases with those uh, oppositions and those conjunctions of, of Uranus and Pluto, I mean, those are 12-year time periods. Maybe not the most acute, but we see the same themes and harmonies over those long periods of time. Gotcha. Well, I guess I just want to end with um, we're in the midst, as we said, of Pluto and Saturn. It is working on getting closer and closer together. It is exact on January 12th, 2020, uh, a date I have marked in my calendar. I don't know if you have. <laughs> my birthday is on January 14th, so my 40th birthday I expect to be memorable. I don't know what that is going to mean. It's a hell but of a solar a, return right there. Yeah, and the sun is in there too. Um, he didn't even go into that, like where these like the exact one degree um alignments and what science he didn't like you said he didn't go into science right. uh there was no science so that adds a little bit more to our uh ingredients of this cosmic soup stuff this is all capricorn stuff and all these other things we talked about we didn't even go into the science he did he doesn't either um but i think there there's more you could do with that um i don't want to right now because i'm too <laughs> I'm too terrified. People send hugs uh, to Meredith. She needs your hugs. I need to. I'm going to be watching like The Little Mermaid later today, <laughs> having a glass of wine and just not thinking about this because this honestly, this can put you down a rabbit hole. Um, and I have to, as I'm going through a personal identity transit, I need to keep my ego in check here and not latch onto the fear that this stuff can uh, manifest for us. So that's all I have. Do you want to end with anything about uh, sections five and what were we on? Five and six, right? Or four and five? Five and six. Where are we, what are we doing? I feel like I might have said too much. It's four and five. Uh, we were No, thank you, Kip, for carrying the pod today. I appreciate In it. In a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to come out with the final <clears throat> uh, third of the book. Uh, we haven't decided on the next book yet. We want to start it um, soon. We want to order it during this next section. So if anyone um, is reading along uh, and wants to join in, um, I've been thinking about... Um, Bernadette Brady's book about uh, divination. There are a couple other just really Ooh, good ones yeah. uh, that we brought or what, up. Anyone listening, what is your must read? They just actually came out, I think, with a list of the 20 books that every astrologer should read. I know Chris Brennan's book was in there and a couple others. Um, so if anyone listening, what is your must read book that you'd like us to discuss or you had a hard time getting through it? Like this book is pretty heavy, Cosmos and Psyche. If you had, there's another one that, <laughs> please, you know, and Kip and I- pick a lighter are, one, please. <laughs> well, yeah. But I like this because you're so good at history and dates and philosophy and all this stuff. And just bringing our, and me, I'm like, Kip, please explain this. Please explain this. You know all this stuff. You're so good at it. You can organize it in your brain. Just having two different people kind of discuss the book, kind of like you would if you have no one else in your living room to discuss these books with. So again, send them our way. We are listening. Um, and with that, I'll sign us off, Kip, unless you have any last comments. So you can email us your book recommendations at thebasementastrologers at gmail.com or fill out our contact form at thebasementastrologers.com on our website. Also find us on Patreon, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd also like to thank July Fighter for our opening and closing music. Please find July Fighter on any music streaming service. Thank you and good night, Earthlings. <laughs>